take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10 as we look at verses 32 through 39 this morning and draw to a close this chapter that we've been in for some time now, but come to the real, I think, epicenter of what the writer, the preacher of this letter or sermon is wanting to get us to. Uh, he has been giving warnings all throughout this book. We've looked at those warnings, warnings of apostasy, warnings about turning your back on Christ once you've come to, to hear the truth and be exposed to the truth and, and even be a part of the body of Christ. Uh, those are real warnings. Those are serious warnings. I, I almost make the analogy in looking at this of a parent who really, really loves his or her children. And yet there are times when those children have to be warned and have to be disciplined because they're finding themselves in the way they're living their life, the way they're doing various things in a, in a precarious and dangerous situation. I remember I had three children. Oh, I still have three children, I suppose. But uh, once I get 31, 29, and 25, it's kind of hard to imagine them that way. But, 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 but when they were younger, I remember some very difficult days when uh, they, they were good kids for the most part, but there were times when they had their moments, just as yours probably do, and I would have to discipline them. I would have to lecture them. I would have to warn them, and on occasion have to, I know this is not politically correct, but have to spank them. And I know that there is the, the old adage which you look at your child and you say this is going to hurt you, uh, hurt me more than it hurts you, and I also know that not to be true in most cases, but it did hurt. It was hard. It was difficult to say, you know, if you don't straighten up your act, if you don't stop doing this, then there's going to be some serious ramifications of that down the road. You need to get your act together right now. Well, basically, that's what the writer to the Hebrews, it has been saying to them, listen, you are being challenged, you are being threatened, you are, you are facing struggles, you're facing persecution, you're facing all sorts of things because of your old life, because of your old religion, if you will, and if you're not careful, if you keep flirting with that, you're going to find yourself turning your back on Christ, denying him, and going right back to where there is no hope, there is no life, there is no truth. Now, the writer, I think, would stand with the Apostle John in saying that, you know, if that happens, if they went out from us, it proves one thing, and that that it proves is they never were really of us. They never belonged to the true body of Christ. They were in the local expression. They were involved in the, the local visible assembly of the church, but they never really knew Christ. They never really had a, a, a relationship with him. They never really died to self and rose to newness of life in Christ. They never were really converted or regenerated. They merely had a religious experience. And I can imagine as they read this, some of those saying, why are you, why are you warning us about things that, that you say if we're in Christ are impossibilities? If, if we are in Christ, we will be secure. Why do you keep warning us as the visible church? And the writer, I think, would say, because there are some of you that need to be certain about what your relationship is. There are some of you who need to examine carefully because it, it, it may just be a religious feeling experience. It may have been just something that, that you thought was good at the time and, and by your own work 
tried to accomplish, and it never was really the grace of God. It never was really the hand of God. It never was really a, a relationship with the living God that, 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 that Todd read about from Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians, just a few minutes ago. Did you notice the things that Paul said in that passage? He was desiring more than anything else. He said in that, in that brief passage that, that was read, he said, you know, I want to know him. I want to know Christ. Now, this is the man that was saved 20 years earlier on the Damascus Road, saw a vision of the Lord, was carried into the Arabian Desert and taught by Christ for three years. I mean, here was a man that if anybody knew Christ, it was Paul. And yet Paul said, my desire in life is to know him, to know him deeper, to know him better, to know him more intimately, to, to have a greater walk with him every single day I live. But it wasn't just to know him. He said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know what it means to have that resurrection power, the power within me that said to Jesus, come forth out of the grave, and he came forth in the newness of life. I want to know the power of the resurrection that, that was his resurrection, but also that spoke into a, a grave where Lazarus lay and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he who was bound in grave clothes came forth at the command of Christ. Paul said, I want to know the power of that resurrection to live daily for him can't do it in my own power. I cannot do it in my own strength. I cannot do it by what I try to do. I must have the power of the resurrection indwelling me and empowering me by the Holy Spirit every single day. But it's not just the power of resurrection Paul wanted. Paul also wanted to know the fellowship of his suffering. Now that's what the church that is being written to by the writer of the Hebrews is going through. They are suffering. Even as Christ suffered in some ways, they are suffering for one simple reason. They have expressed faith in Jesus Christ. They have associated themselves with this sect, to this cult, as they were called, called Christianity. They had left the law of Moses as their hope for salvation, and they had left the old covenant and had entered into a new covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, and because of that, their families, their friends, their community, in many cases, their livelihood turned its back on them and, and persecuted them because caused them to suffer because of their faith in Christ. Now I dare say to you this morning, most of you, if any of you, have not gone to, through that kind of persecution because you acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. I, I haven't. I had a family that was supportive of that. I had a church family that was supportive of that. I had a culture in my day in the, in the 50s and the 60s in the South that, that encouraged that and supported that. I, I was never persecuted because of my faith in Christ. And, and you probably weren't either. There are situations around the world today where that is taking place. We've talked about some of them. We've talked about China and, and North Korea and, and, and uh, some of the Middle East countries where to, to confess Christ is literally to place your life on the line. 
perhaps to even lose your job and have your family totally disassociate from you. I mean, there are people around the world right now, this morning, as we gather in all this freedom, with all this lack of any persecution, who are being terribly persecuted because of their faith in Christ. Now, let me tell you something. Don't tell me that if that didn't happen to you, you wouldn't start thinking, is this really worth it? Should I not just go back to my old way of life and, and I know this thing, the, the spiritual benefits of being in Christ and all the things that go with that, I know those are important and I, I know what it means to, to experience that to some degree, but, but wouldn't it be easier just to go back and get my job back and get my family back and get my friends back? Wouldn't it be easy, easier to live without the persecution? Because of my faith in Christ. There would be that temptation in your life. Now, I know we can sit here in the comfort of, of, of Grace Baptist Church on Sunday morning, and we can say, oh, no, no, I'd never do that. I'd never, I'd never, even, I'd never even think about it. And you know why we can say that? Mostly because we really don't think we're going to have to face that. We think, no, we'll always have it easy. And that may or may not be the case. My guess is it probably won't be. But Paul said, I want to know him, the power's resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That is in the last day. What we sang about a while ago, with I will rise when he calls my name. And, and there'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more pain. I'll be in his presence. But Paul said, I want to know everything that needs to be there to make me what he's called me to be. And this person, this writer, sees himself, I think, something as a spiritual parent to these people. And he wants to warn them. He wants to challenge them. He wants to, he wants to encourage them, even if it means in a negative way for a while. But then he comes to these verses. Now, all of that was introduction, so we'll get to the sermon now. Uh, then he comes to these verses, verses 32 through 39, and they are they are quantumly different from the ones that have preceded them. There's a quantitative difference. There's a, there, there's a qualitative difference in the way he approaches them. And, and he's, he, he ends that last section, verse 31, with a statement, it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And no truer words were ever spoken. And in verse 26, he said, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Then he explains what that means. And then he says in 31, it's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of a living God. I mean, that is a, that is a warning above all warnings that these believers should be careful of and that we as Christians in the 21st century should be careful of. But then he comes to verse 32. Hear the word of the Lord as I read 32 through 39. But remember the former days. Now remember, remember this contrast too, because I want to come back to that, that from what Todd read. Here the, the writer says, remember the former days, and Paul said in Philippians 3, forget what lies behind. There's no contradiction there, but there's something you need to understand. Remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. 
for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession, a better possession and a lasting one. That, that's the new covenant. It's a better possession, it's a better covenant, and it's an eternal and lasting one that never ceases. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And then he quotes the Old Testament. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. This is right out of Habakkuk. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But listen to verse 39. This is the real key. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Thus the title of the sermon, we are not those. We are not those, the writer says, who shrinks back into apostasy, denying the faith, denying the Lord to destruction. He's saying to this church that he's given such hard warnings to, but I don't think you're going to do that. I want to tell you about the warning. I want to warn you against it because you have been persecuted. You are still being persecuted, and you will be persecuted in the future. But I want you to know, I don't think you're going to fall away. I don't think you're going to shrink back to destruction. I think you're going to persevere and stand firm and walk in Christ because I think you're a part of the body of Christ. I think you've had a relationship with Christ. I think there's been a redemptive act in your life by the Spirit of God changing you. I don't think that's going to happen to you, but I want to warn you about it. Because it's a serious, serious matter. I was reading something yesterday that uh, Retta asked me to read out of the uh, women's Bible study from Tuesday. And, and it's been interesting. Those ladies have been getting a double dose of the new covenant as they've studied uh, the K author study on covenants. And, and they're at that point. But she quoted Andrew Murray in this. And I love this quote. I'd never heard it before. Though I've read a lot of Murray, I don't ever remember reading his book, The Two Covenants. And this is what Murray said. He said, the new covenant provides a guarantee, not only of God's faithfulness, but for man's too, also. And, and this, in no other way than by God himself undertaking to secure man's, man's part as well as his own. Do try and get hold of this, Murray said. See, that's one of the areas where I think so many Christians today don't have a hold of it. They don't get it. They don't understand that this matter of the new covenant is God's redeeming work, God's persevering work, God's protecting work, that, that he not only guarantees his own faithfulness, but for those who are in him, the Spirit of God working within them. Paul talked about that in Romans 8. That, that God's Spirit working within them also guarantees not just God's faithfulness, but our faithfulness. And I think that's what the writer is saying here. I, I really do. I, I think he's saying, listen, uh, God has done a work in you. I'm convinced of that. I don't think we're of those who will shrink back to destruction. I believe something real has happened in your life. Murray goes on to say, it is 
it is just because this, the essential part of the new covenant, so exceeds and confounds all human thoughts of what a covenant means. They have thought that human unfaithfulness was a factor permanently to be reckoned with as something utterly unconquerable and incurable. They have never realized how the Holy Spirit is to be the unceasing, universal, all-sufficient worker of everything that has to be wrought by the Christian. I don't know about you, but I like that. I like it for several reasons. I like it because it's biblical. I like it because it's truth. But I also like it because I realize that if I'm left to my own devices, if I'm left to my own strength, if I'm left to try to do this Christian life thing, it'll never be done. I'll never accomplish it. I will fall. I will be unfaithful. I, I, will, I will be incurable as utterly incurable as Murray says, I will blow it. And I do blow it. And so do you from time to time. But understand there's a grave difference, as we've talked about a little bit, there's a grave difference between backsliding and apostasy. There's a, there's a grave difference between mm, I sinned and I... I hate that sin, and I, I hate myself for that sin, and saying, <laughs> I sinned, wasn't that fun? I think I'll go do it again. It's a grave difference in that. And, and what we're talking about here is the Spirit of God so works in the life of every believer, every true disciple of Jesus Christ, everyone who's been adopted in the family of God. Use all the analogies that Scripture uses for it to give us an understanding of this. But God so works in us not only to show his faithfulness, but to secure our faithfulness in this new covenant. See what he's saying here. He basically says two things. He says, remember the past in verses 32 through 34, and he says, respond in the present, verses 35 through 39. Now, why does he say remember the past? Why does he say remember the former days? And the apostle Paul says to the Philippians, I'm forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead for the upward call of, of God in Christ Jesus. Why does, why does Paul say forget what lies behind and press forward? They're talking about two entirely different things. Paul is talking about forgetting the law that you so depended on. He's talking about forgetting your own self-righteousness, forgetting your own uh, idea that you could gain righteousness through some kind of obedience to the law. Forget all that. He's also talking about forget the failures you had in the past. I mean, Paul could have dwelled forever on the fact that he was a persecutor of the church and felt guilty about it and beat himself up about it and said, oh, I'm just not worthy of any of this. He said, no, forget that. That's over. Christ has dealt with that. Christ has forgiven that. Christ has cleansed that away in my life. And if you're a Christian, he's done that in your life for every failure you've ever had if you're in Christ. And that's important to understand. That's what Paul is saying. The writer of Hebrews is saying, remember the former days, remember what you've gone through. After being enlightened, after seeing the truth, you endured a great conflict of suffering. 
you've you've been through it. You 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 you've passed the test more than one time. You've had this great conflict. I like the word that that Paul use, excuse me the writer of Hebrews uses there for the the term great conflict. It, it, it's the Greek word aletheus, from which we get our word athlete. It's the idea that the persecution they had endured was like a hard-fought athletic event. It was like something where you put everything into it and you had the opposite side coming against you and you were struggling for victory and you were doing this really before a partisan crowd that wasn't partisan to you. You were doing it in the world which was against you to begin with, and yet you were struggling, you were, con you were conflicting, you were, you were engaging in this battle, this hard-fought athletic battle or contest, and you came through it. He's saying there, basically, if, if you were going to turn away, it would have been back then. Remember what, you, what God has brought you through. Remember how he has cared for you. Remember the past. And in remembering the past, you, you understand that you were made a public spectacle of through the reproaches and tribulations, and partly, partly for that, and partly because you became sharers with those who were so treated. But you know, some of you were persecuted. Some of you were reproached. You had reproaches and you had tribulations. You, you lost relationships. You lost wealth. Paul probably uh, was one of those who was a fairly wealthy man before he became a Christian, and he lost everything. But he said in that passage, I count everything as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Money? What's money? Possessions? What's possessions? Those things are going to vanish anyway. Those things are going to be gone anyway. Those things are going to dry up and die anyway. Can't take them with me. But boy, knowing Christ, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, is more important than any of that. And that's what he's saying here. You, you suffered reproaches, you suffered tribulations, and, and you became shares with those who were so treated. You, you even saw some that you could have avoided, but you saw people being treated that way, and you went out of your way to, to engage in their lives and encourage them and care for them, and because of that, you probably got some, of your, some more of your own because you cared about them. I mean, it's amazing. I, I love that 34th verse. He said, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners. Now, I think prisoners there is referring not to the hardened criminals, although we are told to visit the criminals, visit the prisoners and all. No, he's talking about those who have been thrown in prison for their faith. You showed sympathy to them. You cared for them. And, and, and you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Let me read that again. You received joyfully the seizure of your property. The government seized it. You wouldn't bow down to Caesar? Well, too bad. Boom, you lose it all. Or maybe the, the, the religious leaders did. I don't know. But, you know, you didn't you won't stay in the you won't stay in the temple, you won't stay uh, obeying the rites and rituals of the law, then we'll just find a way to confiscate everything you've got. We'll show you what it means to follow this man. 
Jesus? How would you? I'm, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't speak out here. But how would you re respond to the seizure of your property simply because for no other crime, for no other reason than that you're a Christian? I know what most of, I know what I'd say. That's not fair. I don't, I don't like that. I, 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 this is my stuff. I have a right to my stuff. How dare you take it away just because I proclaim Christ and I uh, acknowledge Christ? And they might say, well, if you'll deny Christ, we'll give it back to you. Hey, you want this back? Easy. Just say, Caesar is Lord. You want this back? Then, then just say, the law of Moses is the way to, 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 to life. You want this back? Then go through the rituals of the temple. Offer your sacrifices. Offer things that are temporal and done away with by the new covenant. Just get out of this new covenant business and, and say what you want to say. And hey, it's, say, say what we want you to say. And it's all back again. How would we take that? Would we joyfully say, listen... That's all right. I've got a better possession, and I've got a possession that is lasting, and I've got a possession that no government, no religious figures, no, no person on this earth can take away from me. I've got an everlasting and a better possession. That's what they were doing. They said, oh, they took my house? Pfft. Okay. I got Christ. Oh, they, they took my job? It's all right. I've got Christ. But if you don't have a job, you don't have food, and you don't have a house, you might die. It's all right. I've got Christ. It's better to know him and for him to be my life in this life, knowing that I have his promises that he has made to me in the next life. I don't have to worry about that. I've got Christ. Think about remember the past remember what you've been through and how you persevered through all that not because of your own power not because of your own strength but because Christ was with you and is with you and then the second thing he talks about in verses 35 through 39 is just respond in the present in 35 he says respond in confidence don't throw away your confidence do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. Confidence in who? Confidence in the state to take care of me? Confidence in religion? Confidence in my parents? Confidence in my family? Confidence in stuff? No. Confidence in God. Confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ who has given the promises and who will fulfill the promises and whose promises bring about a great reward for perseverance and for obedience and for walking. You know, it's amazing. We get rewards because he works in our life. We get rewards because he perseveres us. He carries us through. He leads us to the end if we're truly in him. But we get rewards for that. Somebody asked me a few weeks ago, said, what, what kind of rewards do you think those are going to be? 
I have no idea. Is there going to be a bigger house in heaven? Probably not. I heard one sermon one time said means you get a tree that grows anything you want on it. That was not in one of my sermons. It's ridiculous. The reward is Christ. The reward is being in his presence. The reward is, as, as Brother Mike read a while ago out of Psalm, that the reward is, is him. And, and that's where our pleasure is. That's where our joy is. And that's where our, uh, that's where our meaning for life is now. And that's where our life meaning in the future is. With him. All these people worry about what they're going to do in heaven. I just wonder, are we going to be able to fish? Going to be able to play golf? Going to be able... Let me tell you what you're going to be able to do in heaven. You're going to be able to see Christ. Oh, you say, well, what's the big deal about that? What's the big... If you don't, if you don't think that's a big deal, then we need to start all over. Basic Christianity. Because Christ is the big deal. Christ is really all that matters. The glory of God is all that we're to live for. That's all that really makes a difference in our life. And it's his work that accomplishes that so that we can know that joy. But he says, don't give up your confidence. Keep your confidence in Christ. In other words, keep your focus on him. Trusting him. Walking with him. Depending on him. Every day. Every step. And when you get to heaven... You're not going to run around wondering where grandmom is and dad is and mom is, although I, I, my parents are there. And If I get to see them, that'll be a little bit of icing on the cake. But the one I want to see is not mom, not dad, not mama and pop. The one I want to see is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is my strength. He is the one who heaven is all about. Second thing he says about responding to the present is respond in perseverance, verse 36. For you have need of endurance, perseverance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive that which was promised. Do you see here? Reward, promise, those things he has promised to us, that better possession, that lasting possession, great reward, that which was promised you will receive. I mean, he just... He just points out, here's the key. Perseverance is a part of the Christian life. Again, somebody asked me a few weeks ago, they said, well, now, are you saying that you have to persevere to really be saved? And I said, absolutely. But the difference is, your perseverance is not dependent on what you can do. Your perseverance is, is dependent upon the God of the new covenant who works within us to bring about our faithfulness and to bring out about our perseverance. And the one who does not persevere to the end has no hope. If you read 1 John, the whole book of 1 John, where there he told us that they went out from us because they were not of us. But if you read there, the test of a believer, it's not things about I made a decision when I was 12 years old and got baptized and joined the church. It's not about, well, I, had a, I recommitted my life when I was 21, and, and then later on when I was 30, I recommitted my life. And then later on when I was 40, I, and, and boy, I got to recommit my life one more time. It's not about that. It's about, is Christ at work? in your life right now. When someone comes to talk to me about security, their own security, I, 
they're always shocked that I never ask them, well, tell me when you were saved. Tell me when you had that experience. Tell me when you walked an aisle or, or you went through baptism. I never ask them that. I have one simple question. Is Christ real in your life right now? What is God doing to strengthen you and persevere you right now? Because I know a lot of people who go back and say, well, 30 years ago I made a profession of faith and I haven't, haven't desired Christ one bit in my life, but I, I made those, I did what I was told I needed to do, but there was no change. There was no work of perseverance in that life by the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, respond in confidence, respond in perseverance, endurance, pressing on, seeking the will of God because it's the will of God that matters. Jesus said, I came not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Our purpose is not to do our own will, not to get our own way, but it's to do the will of God. To glorify him. To worship him. To be obedient in missions. To be obedient in evangelism. To be obedient in, in ministry. And let that be something that impacts our entire life. And there's a third and final thing. He said, respond in persevering faith. That's what verses 37 and 38 quoted from Habakkuk are all about. And yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, as the believer apostatizes, if he turns his back away, my soul has no pleasure in him. That's God speaking. But he says, the key is persevering, continuing faith. But my righteous one shall live by faith. We looked at that last week. We talked about why the Reformation is important to Baptists. That was the term that just gripped Luther's heart. He came to realize it wasn't all the rituals of the Roman church. It wasn't all the, all the Hail Marys and bowing and treks to make to Rome and, and all the penance and all that. It was merely living by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The righteous one, the one who has been declared righteous, justified by faith, the righteous one shall live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the evidence. Paul said to the Ephesians, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of works, it is a gift of God. Faith is even a gift of God. That's his Holy Spirit working faith and faithfulness in the life of the believer. You say, well, I thought I believed. You do believe. But he is the granter of faith. You say, well, I don't see how that works. I don't worry, I don't either. I just know that's what the scripture says. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we come to in Scripture that we say, well, I'm not sure that's logical. Well, but if somebody said about something else the other night, it's spiritual, <laughs> and it's true because it is what God has revealed. Then he comes to that last verse, and he just says, listen, we're not of those. 
We're not of those who shrink back to destruction. We're not of those who turn their back on Christ. We're not of those who suffer a little persecution and suffer a little suffering and pain and discomfort. We're not those who turn about, who shrink back and turn back to destruction. But we are of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Wow. I am so grateful. I'm so thankful that it's not up to me to preserve, to persevere. I'm thankful that God in his new covenant, even as, as Andrew Murray said, and that's not scripture, but boy, it's sure based on scripture, that the new covenant provides a guarantee not only for God's faithfulness, but for man's too. That is not universal man, but man who is in Christ, woman who is in Christ. And this in no other way than by God himself undertaking to secure man's part as well as his own. Do try and get hold of this. When Jesus said, if you're in my hand, you're secure. If you're in my hand, you're in the Father's hand, and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand, rest on that. But realize that if your life doesn't reflect faith in Jesus Christ, if your life doesn't reflect uh, a desire to know him and walk with him, then chances are you're not in that hand who's in that other hand. You're not in the hand of Christ who's in the hand of God. Because perseverance is a mark. Persevering is a mark of a true believer. Oh, do try and get hold of this. It really is important. And we'll talk more about it later. Let's pray. Father, it is by your word and by your revelation that we understand the truth. It may not seem reasonable to us. It may not seem logical to us. I mean, certainly the Trinity doesn't seem logical. We have one God manifest in three persons, but only one God. That, that to us is a, that'll drive you crazy trying to work out the logistics of it. But we cannot deny the truth of it. Because that's what you've revealed in your word. That's how you've expressed we are to understand the true and the living God. And to do otherwise is to, not, to deny the gospel. Father, we can't fully understand what it means that you will uphold us. You will strengthen us. You will carry us. You will be our perseverance. And, and you will guarantee our, you will guarantee our faithfulness if we are in Christ but that's what the scripture says Father I'm thankful that we are not of those who just have a religious experience and then turn their back on Christ we are not of those who just want to find some benefits but if it gets difficult then we say don't want any part of that but I'm thankful Lord that you have done your work and are continuing to do your work 
in our lives for your glory. Father, teach us to abide in that truth. Father, I pray for men and women who are here today that do not know you. I pray that your Holy Spirit will move in their life and grab their heart and, Lord, change them. Convert them. Give them new life. And I pray for others, Lord, who are just really struggling with, maybe with some type of persecution, some type of difficulty. And, and Lord, they're having a hard time seeing how that is a, a gift from you to make them stronger. Father, I pray you shore them up. Give them strength. Thank you, Father. For you are a good and a great and a mighty God. And we worship you. In Jesus' holy name. Amen.